For the Public Radio Hour, I'm your host, Katie Ganaway. On this special episode, we bring you the culmination of our elder care series. We'll ride around downtown on two wheels, asking how folks hope to age. I definitely want to stay as physically active as I possibly can. I think I can cycle until I'm dead and maybe run until I'm 90. Our community newsroom brings us an audio postcard from Montesano Mountain with a retrospective take on elder care, trying out village-style living. I never thought that I could still be here. And my children, you know, for them, it is their home, too. And we talk with three knowledgeable elder care advocates who offer ways to prevent and combat various forms of elder abuse. I love to be able to sit with a senior and say, listen, this is going to be taken seriously. You are going to get the help you need. And your independence is not going to be taken away from you as evidenced by. That's coming up. So stay tuned to the Public Radio Hour on 89.3 Huntsville. Good evening. This is the Public Radio Hour. I'm your host, Katie Ganaway, with Brett Tannehill Producing. The Public Radio Hour is one of our locally made shows here at WLRH with your weekly mix of special programs and homemade radio features. We are proud to present to you tonight our Elder Care Special. All year long, we have conducted interviews and gathered all kinds of audio that speaks to the experience of entering one's golden years and to those taking care of elderly loved ones. Tonight, you'll hear from folks in our community who took to the streets of historic downtown Huntsville on two wheels or less for Tweed Ride. We'll also have a panel discussion with Madison County probate judge Frank Barger, Martinson and Beeson attorney Doug Martinson, and American Senior Assistance Program President Shonda Crutcher. Our panel of advocates on elder care issue awareness will help shed light on a topic that often goes undiscussed, elder abuse. Our show tonight begins on Montesano Mountain. What if, instead of moving your elderly loved one into an assisted living facility, you let them stay right where they are? Montesano Village provides that alternative, where the community checks in on one another and helps each other out however they can. Dan Paulus, a WLRH Community Newsroom producer, brings us the following audio postcard. This is 89.3 Huntsville Public Radio, and I'm Dan Paulus. In this episode of the Public Radio Hour, we're focusing on some of the challenges seniors face as they age. Many want to remain in their homes for as long as possible, and a new national senior community movement is making that desire a reality. One of two such communities operating in Alabama is right here in Huntsville and our neighbors on Montesano Mountain are glad to be a part of it. Yeah, we, oh. we wanted to meet the youngest member of uh, Montesano Village. Uh, oh, yes, yes, of course. <laughs> exactly. All right, let's have a dance. My name is Dorothea Schlitt. Everybody calls me Dorette. We moved here in 50 when we came back from Fort Bliss. So it sounds like you were a part of the original... We were the original. My husband came in 45 to Fort Bliss with the first big group with Werner von Braun. How has this group been helpful to you to be able to stay in your home where everyone oh, wants to my stay? goodness, Dan, it's a blessing. The single person, the lonely person, the sick person to stay 
and die in their beloved home. That's something very, very important to everyone, isn't it? You want to be able to stay in your own home for as long as you possibly can. It is, until you die. You don't want to go to a foreign nursing home. You know, you don't know anything about it. In former times, you know, churches took care of people. But nowadays, churches have to go maybe other direction. It occurs to me that this is a concept that is making the old new again, because when it was true neighborhoods, neighbors would really look out for each other and check in on each other. To me, it's always unbelievable, you know. Look at me, I'm 98 years old. I never thought, you know, that I could still be here. Well, tonight, um, we want to express our appreciation first to our members and our volunteers. My name is Delia Segrist. And Delia... How did this whole group come about? The village movement started in 2002 in Boston. Beacon Hill neighborhood, a lot of the residents there, wanted to be able to stay in their home uh, as long as they could, and they really loved their neighborhood, and that sounded like us. So in 2014, I sent out an email to all my friends and uh, told them a little bit about the concept and asked everyone that was interested to come and let's just have a you know, get together and see what they thought. And everyone was very enthusiastic, and so uh, we named the village that night. We all pitched in 20 bucks and got it started, and then we incorporated the next year, and after a year of uh, working to get it started, we actually opened in March 2016. What's the motivation or the connection for people in terms of wanting to maintain their, their personal freedom, and how does the community help with that? Well, actually, I was fascinated by the village, and for me, I want to stay on Montesano as long as I can. And it has been shown that as we age, I mean, it's something like 90% of seniors or older adults want to stay in their home as long as possible. And the thing that usually moves you from your home to an assisted living facility, for instance, is the inability to drive, getting the right kinds of food, and those are things that a village, that's things that your community can help with. My name is Jincy Eldridge McCoy, and I was, my husband died about a year ago. And then what else did you want to know? Oh, I'll be 89 in January. I went to the, um, the event over at the lodge a couple weeks ago um, to hear about the, the concept of the villages, but how long have you lived up here in Montesano to enjoy this incredible view? 26 years. Okay. And how has this, the, the Villages group really changed your, your living experience here? You talked about being a little bit isolated and then having these needs come up that you were able to take care of maybe a few years ago, but now need some help with. So what's been the, the real main impact in, in being a member of the Villages in, in your mind or a couple of things? First of all, it gives us an opportunity to learn who our neighbors are. I'm rather isolated so that I don't have any really close neighbors. And since I've become a member, I've met so many new people. But we have a, a contract village game up here and that it's just very casual. And uh, we meet everywhere. I've been a member of it over 10 years, and we play every Wednesday night. So that is really a nice organization. And we have, it's more social than really good bridge, but it's gives us something to do, and we make friends that way. Have you felt like the villages has really 
helped extend that time for you and giving you not only a safety net sense of community, but um, a way that uh, you feel comfortable continuing to be in your home for as long as you can? They have made it so much more real because I had planned on just staying in my home, even if I had to pay someone to come eight hours a day or 16 hours a day and still may have to do that. But in the meantime, it's working just to have this organization here to take care of some of the things that need to be done that I can't do anymore. Everybody does help everybody. If you're looking for answers for your elder care questions, check out the info page for tonight's episode of the Public Radio Hour at wlrh.org. To learn more about the Montesano Village, visit montesanovillage.org. And for the Village to Village National Movement, you can visit vtvnetwork.org. I'm Dan Paulus with the WLRH Community Newsroom. This is 89.3 Huntsville Public Radio. Thanks to Dan Paulus from our Community Newsroom for that audio postcard. It is a blessing, so to speak, to remain in one's own home through the end of one's life. That can, however, come with consequences. Isolation can signal vulnerability to corrupt caretakers and scammers alike. In the next segment, we sit down with three individuals all well aware of elder care issues. Madison County Probate Judge Frank Barger, Martinson and Beeson Attorney Doug Martinson, and American Senior Assistance Program President Shonda Crutcher. In this Elder Care Roundtable, they share some of what they learned at the Strategies and Training to Advance Greater Elder Safety Panel back in August. Each panelist is actively working to educate seniors and their loved ones on how to report and avoid elder abuse. I think that um, in hearing from groups from other parts of the country, that we were pleased that we are as far along as we are in the work that we're trying to accomplish, but it gave us an opportunity to refine that a little further, to learn best practices from other communities, and we came back with a pretty strong plan of how we want to move forward and and tackle some of the issues that we have. This is Shonda Crutcher, and when I think about a phrase, um, they use the term repeatedly, MDT, multidisciplinary team. And we hear that a lot when it comes to health care and the clinical side of caring for those that are aging, but I had never heard it um, used so with it? regards to it? exploitation. It's bringing in multidiscipline, so your attorneys, the judges, social workers, investigators, um, and bringing them all to the table to discuss how we can best combat this issue. And and it makes sense that it would work because it works in other areas, but just had never thought about using um, that concept or that term. But as Frank's Judge Barger says, we were doing that already. We were starting to reach out to other disciplines, but just to see that that was a formalized thing that was working well across the country, um, it was something to take under consideration as we took our marching orders coming back. And Doug? Right. Uh, this is Doug Martinson. And I think the the big thing we came away with is that there are grants out there to send prosecutors and investigators that the issues that prosecutors face uh, here are the same ones they face all across the country, whereas they will always say that, well, the, the elderly person who's being abused or exploited wanted me to have this money and they gave it to me. And so there's a lot of ways that the prosecutors can learn uh, how to fight that and to contradict that and to 
to bring these cases against the people who are abusing the elderly, and it, basically with exploitation. So this is for Judge Barger. When you hear about the cases of elder abuse occurring, what are some common traits that you learn about those victims? Um, do, they, do they suffer some sort of uh, mental health disorder? could be various things. You, you see it when someone starts to experience memory loss. It could be someone who maybe has no children or their family is at such a distance from our community that they have no familial support system here. And so you'll see maybe a hired caretaker or another individual move in and further seclude that individual, cut them off from their social circle, from their church environment, and from any family they might interact with. That's very common for us to see. Right. I think you see a lot of people who are being isolated. And then mm-hmm. our community is unique in that if you look at we had the BRAC in 1997, we had a lot of people move here from St. Louis. A lot of times their families were grown or their kids didn't want to follow. They had good jobs. They have good pensions. They have good retirement plans. They'll have a paid-for house, and they may be a millionaire uh, in many cases. And they have you know several thousand dollars a month coming in, and they have no family support here. Some of them had not been married. I have recently one who uh, she came here. Her and she basically says, well, "I don't want my family from East St. Louis coming down here uh, to to get any of my money." And um, so you you do see a lot of that where people are isolated. They're not. They don't have a connection as much in the community, going to the churches or the civic organizations, or taking part in their garden clubs or learning quests or other various things that are here. So would you all say that the isolation is the common reason why this elder abuse is so common, especially in the Tennessee Valley? I think isolation is definitely one of the common denominators. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you see it all the time across the board? Absolutely not. But I I definitely feel like isolation is a precursor um, to many of the issues that we see in both exploitation, abuse, and neglect. So from what you have seen, Shonda, what would you say is the common reason there? Breathing. (laughs) Um, I I think I have even learned the hard way um, myself, and I'm only 45 years old, but the predators are becoming more and more savvy. And you name it, they can they can find a scam to get to that individual. And so aging individuals can be um, at a higher risk for exploitation um, and abuse. But I, I definitely say no one is immune from it. So even if you have a large circle of friends, sometimes that pool of friends, as we've seen in social organizations, um, that's where the predators come from. And so I think everyone has to do the due diligence in educating themselves that there is the opportunity to be scammed. There is the opportunity to be exploited so that they can um, put in systems uh, around them to help uh, minimize the risk. And so let's talk about those those sort of protections uh, against those sorts of scams. What is available right now? What sort of resources are available to people in the Tennessee Valley to help prevent these sort of things from happening? You know, the AARP has a, a lot of lists on scams, uh, mm-hmm. and it's just really being aware. And I believe if uh, family members or friends can see if the person's being isolated, if they see they have new friends, if they're worried about money, if they're very defensive about what's going on. Because a lot of times if the individual knows that they've been scammed, they're scared if their children know or somebody else that they're going to be taken out of the house and put in a nursing home. And sometimes that's threatened by either family members or the, the scammers. Oh, well, if, you know, if they find out, you know, well, I'm going to, you know, you're going to be placed in a nursing home. I'm going to be the one that will keep you at home. 
Mm-hmm. So I think it's really just having an awareness of, um, you, you know, with the whole community looking out for their brother and being their brother's keeper, whether it's a church organization or a garden club, um, uh, you know, or some other activity and for people to be aware of the signs out there. I'd like to um, piggyback on what Doug said. I'm on the executive council for the AARP here in Alabama, and they have done a dynamic job with their fraud watch. And so there is a site that seniors can go on to. It's aarp.org forward slash fraud watch. And they can register to get frequent text messages on the different um, scams that are going out. Just this past week, I received a phone call from Huntsville Utilities on a Saturday um, saying that they were going to come and shut the utilities off at our building if we did not pay immediately. Well, Huntsville Utilities doesn't send anyone out on Saturdays. Our bill was paid in full. And when I called the number back um, to the main line, they said that it was a, a very prevalent scam that was going on, even showed up on AL.com um, by Monday morning. And so AARP was quick to get that text <laughs> message sent out to its constituents who had registered to let them know beware of this scam. And so there are things like that that people can sign up to to just get notices um, on when there's things going on specifically in their community throughout the state. I think I would also, and this is Frank Barger, I would encourage anyone, if you have a concern, mm-hmm. if someone that has been in your social circle, someone that you go to church with, however you know that individual, if they become withdrawn, if their demeanor completely changes, if a new person steps in that, you're, that you've never met before, I think many people are hesitant to step forward and voice concerns, to check in. They don't want to be involved. They don't want to cause an issue. I would encourage that person to step forward, whether it's a whether it's so extreme they need to call law enforcement, whether they need to reach out to a family member of that individual that they might know. Don't hesitate to check in and ensure that individual is being cared for properly and that there's not something negative going on in their situation. Can we expound upon the sort of signs that people should be aware of? Um, you, you mentioned a few there, uh, Frank. Can we think of anything else, Doug or Chandra? Well, I think isolation is, in my opinion, is the number one issue when someone completely withdraws from everything. Elderly individuals, as they start to to lose their circle of friends due Mm -hmm. to age, um, they become lonely. And so it's very easy for an individual to take advantage of someone who who is older and maybe who has lost a spouse and lost three or four of their closest friends. It's very easy for someone to, 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 to come into their environment and become everything that they need. And and then take over. And so isolation for me is probably the most critical. If if someone that has been involved in an organization you're in, your church, whatever it might be, someone you know and, and they kind of disappear from their normal routine or existence, look into it. Yeah, and, and just to specifically speak to your your question, um, depression. We see a lot of depression becoming more teary, um, not eating behaviors that are inconsistent with their norms. So increased spendings, buying large ticket items. We had a client um, some years back, I think he had purchased nine or ten vehicles. Um, and, and that is a sign of some mm-hmm. frontal temporal stuff that was going on in this particular case. Mm-hmm. But you also see that with exploitation if they're buying things for other people. Um, they're buying these vehicles and, and they're being exploited. Um, paranoia. We oftentimes will dismiss the paranoia, especially if there's some noted cognitive impairment. Um, But sometimes there's some truth 
in the middle. And so I would just caution um, one to not say that is just grandpa or that is just mom. She's always been paranoid. I would I would chase that rabbit for a minute and make sure that there's no truth in it. Anything you want to add? Doug? Right, I would agree. And there's also a lot of people who um, are hoarders or shop on home shopping network and they may buy 10 of the same thing or, um, you know, so their house becomes cluttered and sometimes uh, the people will not let you into their house. Uh, we've been in hoarding houses that are you know they're they're terrible and, and just like off the show where uh, you couldn't even walk in the front door because it was so piled up with items I think Doug is hitting on something real key sometimes exploitation is not an individual it's an entity you know the home shopping networks these um, the what are the the sweepstakes? Um, I have clients. I walk in and they'll have a stack of bills. They say, and it's from solicitors that are trying to get um, money from them because they've always given, and so that needs to be controlled as well, uh, because those audiences are those entities know who to target, and so a scammer, um, a predator may not be an individual. It definitely may be an entity, and we've seen it with the home shopping networks and those other groups. They know how to target that vulnerable population. Let's talk about the people who are the abusers in this case. Before you mention it could be family or complete strangers, what do you see in your unique perspectives most often? Well, the studies show that 40% of the abusers are family members. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so you have a family where somebody is unable to get a job. They may have had a drug problem, opioid trouble, uh, alcoholism. So they're living at home because they don't have any place else to go. And they're wanting to use the money to buy illicit drugs or alcohol. And so they're the ones that are there taking advantage. So that's a large part. Um, Also, they're able to get a veterans check from the VA or they're able to get their social security so they come in and get that. Uh, Then the others are just people, you know, they may have met at a Waffle House, they may have met at a square dancing uh, place, they may have met at, um, you know, even church uh, where they go out and uh, will will get involved in being a caretaker. Uh, And then there's others that are just anonymous that are on the internet, Um, you know, the people that have the Jamaican lottery, and, and those people will never be caught, you know, they're you know, that money sent off and it's in green dot cards or either cash and transfers and money orders. But uh, but the ones we really, you know, can do something about are the people who are the serial predators, because once these people die or once they get stopped, they move on to the next one. And we've seen that happen as well. Shonda? The Nursing Home Abuse Center, um, they did a training just here recently that showed that one to two million older adults over the age of 65 have been abused, mistreated, or exploited by a caregiver. And so I think we definitely have, um, and we've seen this a lot over the years, those that are entrusted to care. They're in the best position to see the deficits, sometimes cognitive deficits, sometimes incapacitation deficits that just keep them from um, getting to the bank, getting to the store. And so they use that opportunity because of their positioning. And so I think that where caregivers can be a tremendous resource for families, never should an individual um, totally transfer all of the decision-making capacity to a paid caregiver um, and not still check in on mom or check in on dad and assume that, you know, Miss Sue just takes excellent care and she just really loves my mom. Sometimes that's with benefit. 
And so I think we have to acknowledge that even though um, professional caregivers, family caregivers are a tremendous resource, they also are a major um, source of indiscretion when it comes to taking advantage of seniors. I think this is Frank Bardrey. I think it's important to point out that we have all, Doug, Shonda, and myself, have all seen situations where you had a caregiver who was doing a tremendous job in caring for the individual. Yes. Well-fed, all their social activities are covered, home is well-kept, but are taking advantage of them financially and family or their other support system might not be aware of it. You've got to stay engaged if you've got, a care, if you've got some type of caregiver in place for a loved one. You have to, you have to stay engaged. So when this sort of thing happens, um, how often is it reported? Because I would assume it, you know, with certain um, cognitive disabilities or anything going on there, it might not happen so much. Doug and Doug and Shonda might be able to give you statistics, but I will tell you that in many cases it's not reported. Mm. Um, an individual, um, if they're having intermittent memory issues, are embarrassed that they've been taken that they've been taken advantage of, and you could have somebody that has no cognitive impairment, but they're lonely and get taken advantage of. They're embarrassed. They don't want to come forward with those issues. So mm. it's it's a small amount that's reported. The last stat I saw, there was a, it's about a $20 billion problem, and, mm-hmm. and these stats are from 2010. Mm-hmm. And actually, at the conference we went to, they were still using those so that they haven't been updated. But they're also saying that only about 1 in 20 cases get reported. Mm-hmm. So that $20 billion is probably a lot higher than that because of the lack of reporting and the lack of follow-through and tracking of it. I was at an ARP training um, here locally just about two months ago, and the gentleman that was speaking there said that, you know, you rob a bank, you get on average about $10,000, and it's a 10% chance that you're going to get caught. You take advantage, you rob an older adult, um, the figure's averaging over six figures, and it's an 85% chance is the number that he quoted, you won't get caught. And so I think um, it is definitely the consensus that um, senior exploitation, elder abuse is not being reported. And I think it's so incumbent that we have these type of conversations and and not just discuss the fact that it's happening, but why it's happening. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And our issues here locally are going to continue to grow. We are the fastest growing metro in the state of Alabama. People move here with no connection to our community because they want to be close to Redstone Arsenal. They're retiring here or moving here for maybe a position later in life where they don't have that familial connection and this problem is going only going to continue to increase for us here so in the the slight chance that it would be reported what's the process like from reporting it to prosecuting it so you can report it in the uh, sheriff's office is taking a look at a lot of the cases a lot of they don't have any forensic accountants so you know they uh, that they have some great investigators that take or that take a look at it and then they report it to the DA who brings it before the grand jury and there's been a few cases here recently that have been brought before the grand jury but i think uh, the laws are very strong in Alabama the laws are very strong in fact if you're over the age of 60 you're considered to be an elder um, so it's the laws are there. It's just getting some a task force to come in to take these cases to prosecute them and to know how to do it because there is some expertise there. But um, the one thing I, I look at is it, if the state or we can get these grants and pay for this, it will pay for itself with Medicaid. Because the issue is if somebody goes and they've had two hundred thousand dollars or a hundred thousand dollars taken from them, and they have to go into a nursing home and they have to go on Medicaid and they don't have the money 
money to pay for it, the state or the federal government has to pay for that through the state Medicaid program. And that is money that could have been used to pay for their private care in a nursing home and keep them off of Medicaid. Our Adult Protective Services Act here in Alabama allows for um, individuals to be able to get the help they need through the Department of Human Resources. And there is a number to report abuse and neglect, and I can share that um, with your listeners. It's 1-800-458-7214. They can call that number from anywhere in the state. Um, But I think if we're really going to put things in place to prosecute those who have committed the crimes, to educate those um, that need to be educated on how to act out about a crime that's been committed against them, and to also have some preventative efforts, um, we're going to have to go after the federal grant dollars. We're going to have to go after the um, opportunities to collaborate with those multidisciplinary um, entities to really brainstorm on how to build a safety net. Anything else uh, to add to that, Frank? I would tell you that our local law enforcement, our sheriff's office, down to our municipal police officers are very responsive to this issue. And so don't be afraid to come forward. They're very responsive. Of course, as a judge, if I interact with them and tell them I have a concern or we bring a case to their attention, of course, uh, an attorney like Doug or a practitioner uh, like Shonda that that have been in the community for so long, our law enforcement is very responsive to us. But don't hesitate to come forward if there's an issue. Um, There are uh, basics in place to ensure that happens. Our goal in in developing this task force is to ensure that we educate folks and that we collaborate and use the resources we do have to to their maximum. So, Shonda, I I had a question for you. As a certified guardian, I wonder, um, have you ever had a patient who confided in you who did not want to go to the police? And what was the protocol that you had to follow when that happened, if it happened? It happens on a very regular basis. Um, I think one of the reasons it happens is just out of fear. You know, usually the person that is exploiting the older adult, they're all they have. And so it's the fear of losing them. Um, It's the fear of making them angry. I think shame and being embarrassed. You know, I was taught when my husband yelled at me that I was falling victim to a scam on Saturday. He was like, that's a scam. Hang up the phone. Mm -hmm. I was totally embarrassed. I mean, just the idea that I could be had. Um, And, you know, just because you age doesn't mean you're ignorant. And we have some, some seniors that carry a whole lot of wisdom. And so to even think about the fact that they've been had, by someone that can be very embarrassing. And so I've had a lot of fear, um, a lot of shame be the reasons that they're not coming forward. Um, Loss of independence. You know, a lot of the older adults are afraid if I concede to the fact that I've allowed someone to come in and take me this way, then I can potentially lose all of the independence that I have. And and that is where I think we just have to be really committed to making sure that when we go in and speak to these issues, that we continue to advocate for individuals to be in the least restrictive environments as possible with the least amount of intervention as possible so that they can maintain that independence. And, and the worst case scenarios don't dictate future reporting. Do you have a specific Um, example that you can share with us. You can keep the person anonymous, but do you have a specific story to share uh, regarding that? 
I think I had one. Sure. Where, I mean, this, this person. This is Doug. Yes, this is Doug <laughs> Martinson. And uh, so there was an individual who worked at NASA. He was in his 80s, and he had been taking advantage. Somebody came by to pressure wash his house uh, or pressure wash the driveway and ended up pressure washing the house and finding all these, quote, problems that he spent about half the value of the house to fix. And uh, he had a, he had a good income. He had, um, you know, half a million dollars in his pension. And so when the Department of Human Resources Adult Protective Services had me appointed, he didn't have anything. And then he is also losing his house because uh, the person went out and got a uh, loan on the house at, at 17% interest. So here you have a fully paid for house and he had income of over 7000 a month with his retirement and he's getting a loan uh, and he ended up losing the house, but he need by the time he needed at that time we needed to get him out. But he was very embarrassed about going forth uh, and letting anybody know that because we said, you know, would you want to tell your story to the investigators or anonymously to the news media? And he said, you know, no, he didn't because he was really just embarrassed about it, even though he would have been kept anonymous. But he didn't have any family. He was uh, not married and had no children, and he was he was actually a mathematical genius. Mm-hmm. He'd go over there and he would be working on some very complicated math problems that he was saying, well, I'm trying to figure this out. And he tried to figure it out for, you know, months. Uh, and but mm-hmm. but so it's also it's not limited to a uh, lower education level because mm-hmm. this guy was, uh, you know, a genius. So please correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like financial abuse is more common than physical abuse uh, regarding elder abuse. The physical abuse still shocks me, and mm-hmm. I think it's one of those things that's still um, way below our radar. I think that's why the need for public education is so um, so real. We see the financial because it hits the radar. People care about um, their resources, and sometimes the resources of others are that they think they're entitled to um, at a later date. And so people report that. They, they, the financial abuse is reported. But what I am starting to see more of, um, Doug, especially in the last couple of years, is that when we are alerted with the financial abuse, we're seeing physical. We had an immigrant, um, a self-made millionaire. She she really worked hard her entire life, took care of her family, um, extended family well. And an individual, it was a romance scam, um, came in. He took tons of money from her, um, got her to buy him homes um, and, you know, you name it. And there was also some allegation of physical abuse. And so I think the physical abuse often tags on to the exploitation. It's not just what makes it to the discussion table usually. So I think we're going to have to really have some conversation about how we get individuals to speak out, just like with domestic violence. Um, I think the same type of education that we had to do to get women to speak out and be safe, we're going to have to be just as tactical and sensitive to the needs of those elders that are being physically abused. One component of the work that we're trying to accomplish is education uh, in general, but those folks that are going to serve in an official capacity as a caretaker uh, and officially would be called a guardian, those individuals that are going to serve as a conservator. And a guardian oversees health care decisions, homemaking, you know, their daily support, and a conservator is going to oversee the management of their their, their financial assets. Uh, is making sure, because many individuals could be a family member, could be a close friend, it would be proper that they serve, that the court appoint them, 
but they don't know what they're getting into. It's very difficult work to be a guardian and to do an excellent job. It's difficult work to be a good conservator and manage someone's assets, someone's finances, real estate, bill paying, and it becomes a job in itself. And many folks get involved on the front end and become miserable in the process, and not intentionally, but end up doing a poor job. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that my court is working to change is ensuring that those individuals that are going to serve know what they're getting into, that there is some education on the front end before I sign an order and appoint one of those individuals so that they know the responsibility they're taking on. Because we see issues that predate my being on the bench um, where someone's been put in place, and it's not necessarily intentional, but by neglect, they've done a very poor job in their work as a guardian or conservator. And so we've got to do some more work on the front end to ensure people are prepared to serve. And Judge Barger, caregiving is just stressful. And so you get someone who has a family that they're trying to take care of um, and an older individual. And and let's just say there were relationship dynamics prior to them having to take on those caregiving responsibilities. Um, I think that is where you I think the physical abuse with elder abuse just looks different Um, where you have an aggressive person who everyone knows is aggressive, usually with domestic violence when it's in younger populations. Um, I've been really shocked to see the perpetrators across the country as I participate in national conferences. You see these perpetrators and they're these little ladies um, that sometimes look frail themselves um, and that you wouldn't pick out of a lineup to be a physical abuser. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think we really... um, undereducate to the stress of caregiving and under-equip those caregivers, which does not excuse them to lay hands on mama. Um, but I think it definitely is an area that we're going to have to focus some more deliberate education on as that population grows um, because the stress is real. Doug, would you like to add anything? Right. And I think the physical abuse, there's a lot of outward signs. You know, there's bruising, if there's injuries where they go to the hospital. Mm-hmm. So most of the time, the financial abusers don't want to enter because mm-hmm. that's where they're getting their, their money from. And some of the abusers are very nice and have been very good caregivers. And I think they, they get in there and they have an entitlement, entitlement mentality. Well, I'm helping mom, my sisters aren't, or my brother's away. I'm going to take all what I can or they're the caregivers that are in there and it's there. So uh, the physical abuse is there, but uh, not as much as the financial abuse. Well, and this is Frank again, and Doug has seen this uh, while I've been on the bench. So, Shonda, I become very frustrated um, with family members who feel an entitlement to the resources mm-hmm. of their mom or dad or a grandparent. Um, I've had family members say, well, no, that's my money. Well, no, it's not. Mm-hmm. Uh, those resources were earned by mom or dad or grandmother. Um, they're there to ensure their care, that individual's care, their best interest. And so I have to remind folks on occasion The court's role, my role in this process, is to ensure that that individual, however they're incapacitated, is well cared for and that their assets are protected. And it's not about ensuring that there's an inheritance or that there's something left over. If we use every last penny to make sure that your mom or your loved one is cared for, this court's going to do that. Mm -hmm. I had a client sitting on my couch um, just last week, and she was in in tears saying that um, her 
beneficiary, the only living um, relative that she had, that she had made beneficiary over everything, calls her almost daily, not to inquire about her well-being, but to inquire about what money is being spent um, and and to minimize the grocery bill and to minimize, she said, if I want to go buy a new dress. And, and even God is bold to say here recently, there's not going to be anything left. And so what is my stress? What is it worth? How is this worth it to me to take care of you now if you're not, if there's not going to be anything left? for you to leave me. And and you think that that is brazen, but I hear things like that more, way more common than I ever thought I would. And I'm mm-hmm. seeing a greater frequency in the court of um, the appointment of someone outside of the family. Family dynamics are interesting, all things perfect. Mm-hmm. We all have family dynamics. But with greater frequency, we are appointing someone independent of family to serve as a guardian and as a conservator um, because those dynamics um, in many cases are very negative. And you might have someone that manages care and manages assets well, but the dynamics involved are so negative that it becomes a burden for the individual that's being cared for. And the court tries their best. We try. I try my best to eliminate that for mm-hmm. someone that, that needs care. Talking to our listeners directly, how would you advise them to gather sufficient evidence to make a case for um, something like this? Well, I think if they can get bank statements, of course, a lot of times they want them kept secret. We had somebody recently who was, they came in and the, the abuser was shredding all of the bank statements. She said that the the elderly person wanted his bank statements uh, shredded, but, you know, that's always a bad sign. So I think if, if you can get those, uh, find that information or uh, file an action to see those documents, to see, uh, you know, the, you know, to subpoena the bank statements if you have to and going to court, uh, that's one thing that can be done. Regarding physical abuse, how might they uh, fortify the case? I think if the fortify the case uh, would be to take pictures of any physical abuse. Uh, And there's cameras, you know, that Mm -hmm. you can put in uh, place. You know, you have these ring doorbells, and so you could have cameras wherever and and hopefully not invade the person's privacy, but have cameras to document uh, any physical abuse. We we call it the the three C's. We say if you have caregivers, you should have cameras, checks and balances. Um, so caregivers, cameras, and checks and balances. You have to have more than one person with total autonomy, um, and and if at all possible, if you have caregivers coming in and out of your home, they should be cameras. I would also encourage those folks that are aging, that are doing estate planning, that are that are planning for end of life, and that's horrible terminology, but we all get there, is be honest about what you want to have occur, what you want to have in place, and seek out a legal professional that can put all of that in place for you. We experience many situations that are unfortunate where if they had done more planning on the front end, um, they could have made the directive early on who was going to take care of them, manage resources, that type of thing. And so early planning is important. But if you're in a situation where mom, dad, your loved one has lost capacity, seek out someone that specializes in that area of care. We have numerous attorneys in Madison County that specialize in elder care, um, that specialize in guardianship and conservatorship work. We have professionals like Shonda. Seek out individuals that are qualified to assist you and spend those resources up front to help mom or dad or or whomever that loved one might be because it's worth it. Put something in place uh, and and use the proper resources. So to conclude this panel discussion, is there anything else that you all want to throw in there before we say goodbye? 
Start with Doug. All right. Yeah, I would. This is Doug, and I would say that you know to be on the lookout for your fellow neighbor. Your if you see anything, if you see somebody maybe uh, being exploited, if there's new people coming in, unsavory people, uh, and the change in behavior, uh, if they become defensive or secretive or don't want to talk about who's coming in, uh, and then also try to alert their family members or a professional or Department of Human Resources, Adult Protective Services or the other hotlines? I just say communicate, communicate, communicate. You know, as an elder adult, communicate your wishes early, um, pre-need. Make sure that your family members know what your wishes are with regards to not just your estate but with your person because I think sometimes people think, well, I don't really care what happens with the money, but you do care what happens with you and and care costs. And so to have communication proactively um, is going to cost you less financially, emotionally, it's going to minimize your chances of being exploited or neglected. So communicate. Judge Barger. Just to reinforce what Doug and Shauna both had to say, number one, don't be afraid to call someone. Don't be afraid to step forward if you feel or suspect there might be an issue. Um, best case is there's nothing wrong. Um, worst case is you don't step forward, you don't bring an issue forward, and it goes on too long and it becomes a very detrimental uh, situation. Um, second of all is, you know, be aware um, make sure your family is aware of your wishes, uh, as Shonda said. Um, communicate early. They're difficult conversations to have, but make sure that you do everything you can on the front end, if at all possible. None of us want to think about aging and losing some of our faculties, but we all get there. And so planning early and putting everything in place, it, it makes a huge difference as you do age. Well, awareness is the key, and we just want to um, formally thank WLRH um, for taking the time to do this. It means a lot that we educate our community, and you guys are definitely leaders in doing so. So thank you. Thanks again to our panelists. You heard Madison County Probate Judge Frank Barger, Martinson and Beeson Attorney Doug Martinson, and American Senior Assistance Program President Shonda Crutcher. They're part of a national effort to address elder care challenges called STAGES, Strategies and Training to Advance Greater Elder Safety. And as you may have heard Shonda say, you can report elder abuse through the Adult Abuse Hotline at 800-458-7214. Calls can be made anonymously. More resources are available at alabamaageline.gov. You can also find links and information you hear in tonight's episode on the Public Radio Hour podcast page at wlrh.org. Tonight we visited a unique community of seniors living independently in their homes atop Montesano Mountain. We've learned what to do if you discover a situation where an elderly person is facing financial or physical abuse. And to wrap it all up, in our final segment, we look into the future with a leisurely bike ride through downtown Huntsville with cyclists decked out in tweed during the annual Tweed Ride Bicycle Tour. Producers Dory Nutt and Sarah Williamson rode along and asked participants, how would you like to age into your later years? Hi, my name is Devin, and I'm from East Granby, Connecticut, and I would like to age like a fine wine. (laughs) 
Chad Emerson from downtown Huntsville, and I would love to age in a place where I could move, whether by vehicle, by foot, or other means of transportation, so everything was very connected together, so it wasn't just required on a vehicle only. My name is Julie Blair, I'm from Madison, Alabama. Well, I've been thinking about it, and it would be nice to age all at once, because I think about when I dye my hair, if I should go gray or not. And I'm almost 38, I've been dyeing my hair for about two years, and a lot of people I know have decided already to go gray, but it seems too early to me. So maybe one day I'll decide it's okay to age, and I'll just go gray. Hi, my name is Chesney and I'm from Huntsville, Alabama. And I would like to age in good health, happy, surrounded by family, and knowing that I fulfilled all of my dreams and have no regrets about the life I lived. I'm Joanne Smith and I'm from Huntsville. Um, I'd like to age gracefully, be able to stay in my home and uh, I'd like to be able to get out and hike the woods and bike when I'm 80. And that's how I'd like to age. My name is Andy Brown. I'm from Huntsville, Alabama. I would like to age where I can continuously do physical exercise and be up and about and moving. I guess everyone would like to do that. And of course, I'd like to keep my brain intact as well. And of course, that's also like with everyone. But I think my need for physical activity may be more than a, a lot of people. I, I definitely want to stay as physically active as I possibly can. I think I can cycle until I'm dead and maybe run until I'm 90. Ding, 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 ding. Scott Acreage, Huntsville, Alabama. Just live at home and uh, hopefully that's where I pass away. <laughs> My name is Henry Chambaum from Huntsville, Alabama. I would like to age gracefully. That involves finding out how other people around the world make simple crafts and be creative with them. So my name is Laura Dyer. I'm from Chattanooga, Tennessee. And I want to age like my Aunt Velva. She grew up to be 101. <laughs> she lived in her own home. And she was such an infectious person with humor and laughter and love that she had tons of visitors all the time and would play cards with you and talk politics with you. And she never lacked for any visitors because there wasn't a bitter bone in her body. And that's how I want to age. We had a blast at Tweed Ride, and we hope to bring the music and enjoy the frivolity again next year. Thanks to WLRH Community News and producer Dan Paulus, our esteemed panel members Shonda Crutcher, Doug Martinson, Judge Frank Barger, and Dory Nutt, Sarah Williamson, and all of the dapperly dressed Tweed Riders, we would also like to extend well wishes of a relaxing and happy retirement to the longtime CEO of our sister station, Alabama Public Television, our friend Roy Clem, and his wife Carla. Happy trails to the both of you. This is the Public Radio Hour on 89.3 Huntsville Public Radio. I'm Katie Ganaway. Join us every Thursday night at 7 on our main signal. 89.3 FM HD1. Good night and take care.